0: this is wheel bearings i'm dan roth from forbes <laughs>
1: <laughs> and i'm sam Abual Samad from guidehouse insights and uh, rebecca is off uh babysitting a couple of nephews this evening are they uh, are she'll... they
0: legitimately young nephews was
1: was that well i saw one picture that you know it was clearly a young kid so i'm assuming they're young nephews okay um i know she, you know she has an older nephew that uh you know, uh, was living with her for a while, living in her house. Uh, but he's moved out now. So she's just, I think she's babysitting for one of her siblings. So
0: like legitimately babysitting. babysitting.
1: That's, yes. Yeah. Legitimately babysitting. Right. She can't be here this evening.
0: Well, auntie Rebecca will be back sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, and you know what? It's interesting. Uh, the, the, the show that you guys did, I was like, when I edited it last week, I was like, Oh God, I wish I was there for that. Because um, you guys had a question about a sound meter,
1: and oh yeah, well I, we can we can always come back to that one.
0: I was like, I have a sound meter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't oh. broken it out in years, um, but the uh, and the reason for that is that you can just get a sound meter app for your phone. And right. The mic on your phone. I don't, is too I don't right. know how
1: accurate those things actually are, though. It depends on the mic and things yeah, like
0: that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a little variation. Basically, it's gonna it, it'll tell you kind of sort of close enough. But there's there's a lot that goes into sort of measuring sound, and yeah. I don't know how good we'd we'd be at it, you know. Um,
1: well, and you know, there's also you know, do you measure it in decibels? Do you measure measure it in zones? Uh, because they're they're actually measuring two very different things you know one so, one, one is measuring sound pressure right and sones you know decibels is measuring sound pressure um, because sound is made by waves pressure waves in in the air in the atmosphere right and sones is actually measuring the loudness of the the tone and the type of tone it is yeah and manufacturers have, you know over the last I don't know, it's probably about 20 years, like, you know, early 2000s, I think, uh, like when I was still working at TRW as an engineer, um, you know, and they were doing sound measurements of the ABS systems. They switched from using, from measuring by decibels to measuring by zones because it, it gave you a better indication of the sound quality. Right,
0: yeah. Which it's, is important. Zones is definitely, I think, and I think a lot of industries use zones, um, but, you know, you can convert zones to dB if you wanted to, Um because the, I think the general public very much understands decibels versus zones, but zones is a much more comprehensive measurement. Like you said, it sort of takes the the quality of the noise into, um, account. Uh, and, and even with, um, sound pressure, you know, you gotta be careful of, is it a weighted, which mimics the response of your ear or is it C weighted, which is much more broadband. And then in a car driving down the road, um, you, you know, is there, are you holding the meter? And so are you introducing handling noise or is the meter sitting on something, which is again going to introduce rumble because it's just going to physically vibrate the mic capsules. So, you know, we we could take some measurements, we could play around with some some apps. It's not a terrible thing, Um, but generally cars are when you look at the decibel level, they're not all that different in terms of the sound pressure. It's more like the quality of the noise. You know, um, I think that's one of the things that we talk about, and I'll talk about it a little bit with one of the cars I was driving. But, you know, certain brands tend to be a little noisier. They may not measure noisier, but they they, they have a particularly fatiguing noise quality in the, you know, in the way that, you know, the, the, the soundproofing lets certain frequencies through and certain certain ones get blocked. So,
1: yeah. And, you know, I think that, that definitely applies to the, the Toyota 86 that I was just driving um you know it's i think that's definitely a, a sound that um while it's fun for a while, I think it would be fatiguing if you were driving this all the time
0: yeah yeah well and, you know it's, it's, the sounds versus decibels too like that's a lot like um horsepower and p s right like most of most of the power measurements now are done in, in p s right
1: um yeah, although you know p s is is still measuring the same thing it's measuring the the rate of uh, torque, basically the rate of torque delivery, um, it's just a slightly different scale. Yeah, because it, it's basically metric horsepower. So kind of like, isn't that kind of <laughs> like kind of kind of like imperial? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean same thing. You yeah, um, yeah. You know, so it, it's it's me- You know, it's it's like imperial gallons versus U.S. gallons. Oh right. You know, so it's metric gallons slight, yeah. or or c- Celsius versus Fahrenheit. You know, same same measurement, but you know, different different scaling.
0: Yeah, so I, I'm happy to. Grab an app and take some sound measurements. If I, if I remember, it'd be interesting
1: to, if you could do that and compare it to the sound meter and see how see how accurate the apps are. And yeah, see how much impact that has.
0: The nice thing about the apps, because my sound meter is an older one, I used it actually for setting up like my mix position in, in audio post rooms, where you know there's there is a standard. You know, I would I wanted to mix to a 79 dB, uh, I think it was A weighted, back in the day. So I'd, I'd put on. Um, uh, pink noise, I think pink noise, and, or pink noise or white noise, well, anyway, I toned the room, and I set up the mix position so that it'd have 79 dB, because I was mixing for TV, not for movies, so for movies, if you're on a movie stage, and you're editing, uh, you're, you're mixing, it's 85 dB, which, if you've ever been around 85 dB, that's loud. I don't want to yeah. want to be exposed to that for an 8-hour stretch. Um so I much Well, I mean, prefer... you know,
1: 80 85 is that that's the threshold that they recommend not going over. Right. For, uh, for, you know, for, for
0: particularly like for for long-term exposure, yeah, like right. um it, it kind of correlates like give yourself a break after an 8-hour workday of <laughs> of fat. And I'm like, "Nah, I, uh, you know, and, and something like mixing, I actually tend to vary the the level. So I would, I would mark out where 79 was um, because there's the way your ear works is, you know, there's the Fletcher-Munson curve. So you get up a, at a particular sound pressure level and the frequency of response of your ear flattens out. Um, and that's the flattest it's going to be. So... Did not mean to turn this into a podcast. About a, <laughs> this, <laughs> you know.
1: this week in sound geekery. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, there's a lot to it, though, it's, and um, uh, I'm happy to do it. I think actually one of the things that would be really cool is if uh, we could be a little lazy and just crowdsource a sort of a list of things that people want us to um, to measure uh, within reason, please. Yeah, um,
1: we we don't um, we don't have test tracks that are at our disposal, and you know fifth wheels and all kinds of other gear so
0: yeah but if there's something that you always go for on a car and you you want us to just you know consistently take a look at that particular thing um you know we can create maybe a google doc or something but it in in you know in the meantime just, just email us and uh yeah. we'll we'll get it <laughs> it's podcast at wheelbearing.media
1: wheelbearings.media <laughs> um no actually it's oh, uh, or f- feedback at wheelbearings.media <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> okay, it's okay. Dan Dan's gonna edit all this out. It'll never appear in the show. Totally gonna edit it. Uh, no don't, don't. Now I'm
0: gonna leave it. Um. <laughs> all right. So let's move on to actually the cars we've been driving, and, and Sam, right. I'll let you go first. So what's the first one you want to talk
1: about? Uh, the 2020 Volvo XC90 T8, and you know it's funny. Um, when when I was scheduling cars for this month, um, you know the. Uh, uh, the, the young lady at the uh, fleet management company, that, uh, the drive shop that was doing this one, said, Yeah, you know, she, uh, she put, sent me the list and had the XC90 on there. And I thought, no, I, haven't I just recently driven this? I thought I'd driven it recently. She looked back at my schedule and said, "No, you haven't been in this thing since 2016." Wow! Um, so it was I, brand I've, new. I've then. Been, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've 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 been you know I've been in a bunch of other Volvos, um, you know, the V60 and the XC60 and the XC40 and things like that. Uh, but I hadn't been in the, 90, the XC90 for a while, and um, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, it. In a lot of ways, you know, it's like all the other modern Volvos, which is for mostly really good. You know, um, you know, it's just bigger, <laughs> it's just more. You know, the same thing but more. And you know, I I like the look of it. You know, this this generation of the XC90 is, excuse me, getting to towards the end of its life cycle. Um, you know, there's a new one due in for 2022, so probably about another year, 18 months left on this one before the next generation shows up and that next generation is the one that is going to get Volvo's new uh, level three conditionally automated driving system that includes a LIDAR sensor. Um, But that's not here yet. You know, what we have now is, you know, what, what we've had in in other Volvos for a while. Um, You know, so this is the plug in hybrid uh, 415 horsepower total from uh, the uh, the, two-liter, four-cylinder engine in the front with both a supercharger and a turbocharger, putting out 315 horsepower, and then a 100-horsepower electric motor on the rear axle and a big battery down the middle of it. And one of the things I did this time is, you know, I fully charged it up and then took it out and did did a drive cycle, a mix of, uh, you know, urban, suburban, rural driving, a little bit of highway in there. Uh, to see how many electric only miles I could get out of it, you know, one of the modes you can put it in is the. Uh, there's multiple drive modes. You can put it in sport or normal or what they call pure mode, which forces it into EV mode. So they say and,
0: you're going to get. Oh Jesus! It's in metric. It's 40 kilometers. Whatever that. Well, let's see. Uh,
1: it's Times uh, officially right? rated at uh, it says 24 18 miles. miles. 18 the EPA. Eighteen miles on on the window sticker, so that's the official EPA rating. I actually got twenty two miles out of it.
0: Okay, so that's actually which, like that's a little closer, like because forty kilometers is twenty four miles, right? For, by 0.6? so.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think I think that forty kilometers is the WLTP number, so that's the European test. Oh, well, value, so which then is you actually you a did a little bit higher.
0: You did a lot better than than. Uh, yeah. You 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 should have.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I I did great. You know, and my my overall average you know fuel economy for the week uh, was like ninety nine miles per gallon because uh, <laughs> basically every time I came home I plugged it in
0: and a four hundred uh, something horsepower. Yeah, engine, and man.
1: and then yeah, you know, but I, I mean most of the time I wasn't using the four hundred horsepower because you don't really need it most of the time. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, so you know this this thing you know if you plug it in all the time you know for most of your you know driving around town to go to the grocery store you know do run whatever errands you're going to be able to run it you know on electricity almost all the time you know unless you really stomp on the gas pedal and you know then the engine will come on and, and you know you'll get plenty of performance too but you know it's you know, it's a nice powertrain. And this is the same powertrain that they have in the in the V sixty plug in hybrid and the S uh, sixty and the X C sixty and the S ninety and the V ninety. So, you know, they basically got this across all of the sixty and ninety series models. Well it's so like six, you know,
0: it's like Volvo decided to take a look at its classic formula where yeah. they had very distinctive styling and they had one engine. <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> and they use and that's everything, and that and that's what they have today. I mean, everything that Volvo builds right now, you know, still has is built around one engine, one two-liter four-cylinder engine that they sell either with a turbocharger, or a bigger turbocharger, or a turbo and a supercharger, or a turbo supercharger and a hybrid. You know, so that's yeah. those are your options now. Although, the, uh, just this week, they just started production of the XC Forty. Um, recharge, which yep. is the battery electric version, uh, so that's that's going to be coming soon.
0: Well, and Geely just introduced um, a vehicle that has their newest, uh, sort of their newest corporate architecture. So I expect that we're going to get Volvo's on that architecture at some point.
1: Yeah, or at least Polestars. I don't. It probably okay. we'll probably get uh, Volvo's uh, at some point as well. Um, the The next generation, the SPA two architecture which is the next generation of what's under the 60 and 90 series vehicles um, that will have an option for an all-electric version but there's also a dedicated ev platform that they've developed which they'll be using for vehicles like you know upcoming Polestars. like they also uh showed a concept in uh, in beijing last week uh called the uh the, the pole star precept right um and said that's going to be coming to production uh in a I think about two years. So there's, you know, there's, there's lots of electrification, lots more electrification coming from Volvo car group um, over the next several years, which, you know, is in line, (coughs) excuse me, which is in line with um, what, you know, what Volvo announced a couple of years ago when they said, you know, from 2020 onwards, all of their vehicles would have electrification. What they, what they actually wrote in the press release was that they were going all electric, which was not true. Right. That's, what, what they yeah. actually meant was they're going all electrified because as, as a standard going forward, all their models are going to have a 48 volt mild hybrid as the minimum. And then they'll have uh, plug-in hybrids and battery electrics on top of that.
0: Which I think is, I think is good. And the new one that I was talking about with Geely is the, uh, the S E A architecture, whatever that stands for the sustainable experience architecture. Um, Yeah,
1: and I think that's what they're using for the Precept and and other EV models going forward. Um, Um,
0: But I think it's good that they're going to actually have everything get a hybrid because one of my observations with that the Turbo 2-liter is, while it's a fine enough engine and it's generally powerful enough, uh, it doesn't sound or feel as premium as it could. And so having a hybrid – and the electric motor, to give you that torque, means you're going to have to work the engine a little less hard, and I think that will in- improve the character of uh, the cars um, by making them feel a little bit more confident from, from, you know, stops and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and, you know, with with the plug-in hybrids, you you definitely get a lot of that because, you know, it always, it'll always launch electrically, you know, and then the engine comes in, so the engine's not working as hard. So even... Even when the the charge is depleted, you know when you, when you've just got hybrid charge in the battery, uh, you're, it's still going to launch electrically, and then the engine comes in, uh, unless you really stomp on it, you know. In which case, it all comes on at the same time. But uh, you yeah, know the uh, the one I the XC ninety I had was. Uh, uh, the base price for the plug-in hybrid is sixty-seven thousand five hundred dollars. Isn't that terrible? Then,
0: I mean, yeah. you compare that to what, like an X Five? Is it's within range?
1: Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's not it's not unreasonable, you know. But then you know when you start adding on all the options, like this one was an inscription, uh, you know, that had the really nice seats and twenty-inch uh, wheels and park assist and uh, wood, you know, walnut uh, inlays in the dashboard, and mm. uh, you know that's that's sixty-three hundred bucks for the inscription package. Uh, the advanced package is another twenty five hundred bucks for the LED headlights with active bending in the corners and the the heads up display and the three sixty surround camera, uh, and then another three grand for the luxury package to get the heated rear seats and the heated steering wheel, which of course you want you know especially in the wintertime. Oh, uh, and the and the massaging seats, love the massaging seats. Uh, you know, so all, all together you know. It came to eighty six thousand seven hundred and ninety dollars delivered. So.
0: Still not terrible when you consider no. the amount of luxury you get.
1: Yeah, when you when you consider the luxury you get, and you know if you compare it to a plug in hybrid X five, uh, or actually, you know, I guess, not sure. I think it probably it might even be closer to an X seven because this this is a three row, uh, you know, like the X seven. Uh, you know, you're you're going to be paying at least that much, you know, for BMW or Mercedes plug-in hybrid, you know, three-row SUV as well. Uh, so it's it's not, you know, it's not cheap, but it's you know, it's in line with the rest of the segment. You know, it's de- it's definitely comparable. Uh, you know, for that kind of money, I, though, I, I think I'm, I I might just be more inclined to go with the uh, the Aviator Grand Touring instead So
0: I did drive an Aviator and I can't remember whether I talked about it on the show or not we, you did last I, time yeah Man I was impressed with that thing Yeah Um and definitely uh that was one of my comments was like for the same kind of money the the, the Lincoln actually to me felt a lot more premium than the Volvo And and the Volvo is n- nicely designed and it's comfortable and it does have a lot of nice features but the the Lincoln whatever they manage to do, man, that thing just feels really special.
1: It, it does. So, you know, and that's, you know, that's going to run you, you know, especially a uh, black label grand touring is going to be about 87, 88 grand. So it's about the same price. And, you know, it it's definitely, uh, definitely more, it feels more upscale than this one does.
0: It So how is my consistent complaint <laughs> about the XC90 is um, that that SPA platform just, doesn't seem to to have a very plush ride. Uh, how how was this one? Maybe I just haven't no, sampled. I, this. I
1: wouldn't I wouldn't call it plush, you right. know, but this one was also, you know, with the inscription package, you're on twenty inch wheels and you know, I think that that always that always hurts ride. So uh, it's been a it's been a long time since I drove one, you know, that was a non inscription, you know, one of the lower trim levels with the eighteens uh, or even nineteen inch wheels, you know. But I, I I suspect the, you know, it, some of the inputs felt a little sharp. You know, like there wasn't enough compliance in the sidewalls. Um, you know, I mean, overall it was it was great. You know, it was comfortable, but I, I certainly wouldn't call it plush.
0: See, that's one of the things that the Lincoln managed to do was it had that the one that I drove had the air suspension and and so just it could get plush.
1: It. Yeah, it, it, it gives you that option of, you know, picking a, a softer setting, you know, or tightening it up, you know, when you're when you want to drive more aggressively. And, you know, that that adaptability that you get with that suspension system, I think, is is definitely an advantage.
0: Yeah. So and you know, we're talking about the XC90. that's at the, the end of its life cycle, essentially. And so I expect that that's that's going to improve. So yeah. uh, then the next one will have to be better.
1: <laughs> yeah and and i'm sure it will be
0: i mean it, it's, it's it's a five six year old product now it came out in 15 right so uh
1: yeah i think so yeah, yeah 15
0: it's getting getting up there in age
1: yeah uh, you know and this one you know this had the pilot assist system on there which i tried again and you know it's it's okay it's it's definitely gotten better over the years uh you know each time i've tried it it, it, it it's a little more confident it does a little better job of you know staying you know staying centered in the lane um you know it's absolutely not a system that you can do hands off it, you know not not in any way shape or form but you know it it does it does okay you know as uh, a really nice driver assist system yeah it's pretty uh,
0: good i like it in um stop and go it's pretty well yeah. well done
1: for that. yeah it's, it's great for that uh, and you know, I did dri- you know, do most of the driving, you know, around town with that. I didn't really go any long distances on the highway with it, so it works really well in those kinds of conditions. Um, you know, census—we've we've beat that one to death over the years. <laughs> you know, it's—I
0: was going to say I, I it's, census...
1: it's, go- its going away. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the Polestar Two is the first one to get the new Android Automotive-based system, and then the the new you know the new generation XC90 and all the everything else that follows is going to get that as well.
0: It's coming. It'll, yeah. it'll be here, and we'll have a new thing to complain about.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we always find something to complain yeah. about.
0: Yeah, I mean it's, it's, the XC ninety is um, it's it's a really well done choice for its its um, segment. You know, yeah. it still is, and I still think it looks fantastic.
1: Oh yeah, no, I mean the the design. You know, it's it's one of those designs that that has that holds up really well. Um, you know, it's not it's not a fussy design. You know, hmm. it's it's very clean. Uh, but it 's got some really nice details in it you know that you know spread across the rest of the lineup you know I, I still like the way they 've done you know that, that they did with the the headlights you know the thor 's hammer yeah. signature lighting in the headlights i think that 's still a very cool touch uh, that that works and it's it 's distinct distinctly Volvo
0: yeah yeah
1: um, all right so all right what about you uh
0: well i I got to I got to try the Mazda CX-30, which I was really excited about because, uh, in the past you've driven one and your take on it was that it, it, it really, it kind of, it replaces the CX-3, which is good, but the CX-30 just slots right in between the CX-3 and the CX-5. And, uh, it's just, you know, modern Mazdas are driver's cars. Even this was a, driver's car you know it it, um it surprised me i had to go into the office which is about 45 miles away and so on the way back i i have to you know do a couple of uh highway interchanges and there's there's one of them that's a decreasing radius turn
1: (laughs) i love those (laughs)
0: and you shut off traction control and just like i'm just gonna see how little braking i can do And the CX 30, it doesn't matter what chassis layout it is, too. If it's a good chassis, you'll be able to do this where, yes, it's going to understeer, but then you can just balance it right on the understeer and just, and the CX 30. Did that no problem? We got around it, and I was I was very pleased.
1: Well, you know the 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 thing that the CX thirty and all you know all the other newer Mazdas have is that G vectoring system. Yeah, it works. Which you know it's it's using the accelerometer in the car, um, you know, and, and steering angle and you know various other sensors, and it's detecting you know when you're going through curves like that, and basically it it automatically backs off the engine torque a little bit which has the effect of creating some weight transfer onto the front wheels it's it's essentially doing automatic trail braking for you without actually using the brakes which is good because
0: i suck at trail braking (laughs) yeah
1: and it does it really really well and and seamlessly i mean you can feel it you know just tracking wherever you know exactly where you want it to go without without it actually feeling like it's doing anything
0: yeah it's not a, it's not oppressive it's not magic i mean if you overcook yeah. a turn you're going off the side of the oh road. yeah uh, i mean
1: phys- <laughs> physics is still physics you know? <laughs> right you just- when, when when i was when i was working on abs systems you know one of our, you know, the general rule of thumb was, you know, Newton was right, you know, yeah. physics, <laughs> physics ultimately wins over everything else.
0: Yeah, uh, and and with understeer, like, that just means, like, it, it, understeer is safe because it, it plows nose first, so you, you get all that front impact protection. Um, I was not able to test that, so that's a good thing, actually. Um, but I was really pleased with just how it, it'll, it you know, you'll get some of the body roll because Mazda's not, they, they they know how to tune the suspension so you get that sensation of of you know the car digging in it'll take a set it'll 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 carve around that decreasing radius turn and and you know where the exact limit of adhesion is and so you know where to to sort of go you know steer into it and out of it and just it, the, that's the kind of entertainment you can do without having to go fast. And so that's really pleasant because a lot of cars these days, like that Volvo you just had, um, its limits are too high, you know, to, and, and I'm sure it would be unhappy if you try, if you tried to do that. Um, but it, it, you know, with, with large wheels and big tires, and there's just too much grip and you, you can't do that sort of thing without really being too out of control. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. I appreciate a car that feels elemental that way. And uh, there was the f- real steering feel. Um, it rode really well. It, it wasn't harsh. It had a really nice balance of, of um, sort of suppleness and, and um, you know, adhesion, I guess, or, or just uh, control. And it looks great. It was that nice, like, crystal red color. Oh, yeah. the soul
1: crystal red, yeah. yeah. Um, that's, just, that's the best color.
0: It looks so good. I don't know whether, I think it's like a, a base coat and then a tinted clear or something, too. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what they do to get that particular color, but it's very distinctive. And it had a, um, a, a light, tan, uh, light tan seats and stuff. So it, it really looked and felt premium. Uh, and it drove sporty. You know, it, it drove like it drove like BMWs used to. And I, I hate to use that kind of cliche, but it really does. It it feels like it has that that soul of a a premium sort of sporty car or just a, like a performance mindset to it in, in some way. And it's not it's not really all that fast. It It's uh, it doesn't have a turbo yet. It's getting the turbo. And my initial thought was well, it needs it. And then I thought about it and I was like, Man, it's. It's going to be fine with or without it. Um, it's not exactly slow without the turbo, but you, you do wind up sort of actively planning your moves a little bit yeah.
1: sometimes. Um, yeah, it's, it's 185 horsepower. It's, yeah, it's fine. It's yeah, it's It's adequate.
0: Yeah, it's adequate, and it's really like it's enough to get in trouble. I worry that the turbo is going to have just that much more punch, and it's, it's going to uh, allow you to kind of upset the balance of the car. Uh, because turbo power delivery is non-linear, and and the nice thing about this engine is that it's it's linear. If you you want the power, you wring its neck. If <laughs> if uh, you're in the middle of a turn and you put your foot down with a turbo, especially the turbos now where they spool so quick, you all of a sudden you're you've got too much torque and you're boiling the inside tire. Uh, whereas a not naturally aspirated engine, you you know you learn by feel and by hearing where that power is going to come so it's it's again if you're actively driving you don't necessarily need it but for the way most people drive they're going to really appreciate the -the off-the-line torque and the the extra performance of the turbo and it's i don't think it's going to hurt cx30 it might um might make it a little bit more of a challenge to drive in a uh irresponsible manner
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, the the um the turbo is the same engine that they have in the Mazda six, the two point five liter turbo. So it's two hundred and fifty horsepower. And it's great in the six. I've driven it a couple of times now. Uh and it's it's a really fantastic engine. Very very smooth and seamless. Um, you know, lots of you know, good low end or good torque all the way through. And I think, you know, with all wheel drive on the CX-30 and it's also going to be, it's also coming to the Mazda three, um, with all wheel drive in those models. I think it'll be fine. I, I don't, I don't anticipate any issues with it.
0: Yeah. I I think it'll like, I think it's going to make it, a, have a good impression in the market. You know, when, it, when you consider all of this competition probably offers something that feels punchy too, uh, mm-hmm. they kind of can't not, uh, they, they can't omit it. Um, you know, I think it compares. The CX thirty compares with the Escape, right? Or is it slightly
1: smaller? Uh, no, it's smaller. Okay, it's, uh, so Ford the, doesn't it, have it, anything
0: it, that compares to it. N- well,
1: I mean, <laughs> the only thing Ford's got that's close in size to that is the Sport, and it really is. There's no comparison. I, you know, it's, it's just, not even in the same class.
0: No, it's definitely not. Um, but the, the Sport is one of those other ones that's surprising. I, I really like to throw that thing around by the scruff of its neck too. Um, it's definitely not a premium feeling product.
1: (laughs) No, not, not at all,
0: (laughs) but it's surprisingly fun to, uh, to fling around. Um, so yeah, but it's, it's it's a little bit on the smaller side than that and and it'll have some more power. So I think it's going to occupy a a niche in the market. Um, and it, you know, it it just, it feels really nice. It, it's, uh, just a, a, a non-premium premium feel, which like, that's, that's a thing, you know? Um. You don't have to go to a luxury brand to get the, the luxury features. It just it, it makes a good impression in the trim that I had it in. And it wasn't super expensive. It was in the 30s, but not not high 30s. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it
1: really doesn't get much over 30 fully loaded.
0: Yeah, and it's just pretty fully loaded. I'm not a huge fan of their infotainment. Um, I don't mind the, the remote controller knob. I That's fine. I just think that there's too many... Too many menus, too many clicks, and they, they need to sort of flatten out that structure. And uh, the, the control wheel is fine. That works really well. It's just the actual software and the, the user interface is kind of tedious. And that makes it confusing to get what you want and, and go back and forth. So uh, they got some work to do there. But the rest of the car is lovely. It's a very good size. Uh, y- you know, we had... Um, I think if we had everybody in it or not, uh, but uh, at least in in my use, it, it, there were no complaints about it feeling cramped um, and just everything feels good and looks good. Uh, the engine, when you are sort of wringing its neck, it's a really classic Japanese four-cylinder. It's 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 a you know smooth, good-sounding engine, so you don't mind revving it out. Uh, where you know some some engines. Don't sound all that pleasant,
1: <laughs> right? When you're doing it, and it's that. it's not a, it's not a CVT, which also helps. Right, that know, helps six speed. Yeah,
0: it's it's no, it's a really good it's a really good little compact SUV, and I I kind of it doesn't matter that it's a SUV; it's still fun to drive, you know. So, and that's where we're at. Like, we're not going to stop losing sedans for crossovers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, might as well just it's, embrace it's, it. It's it, it's basically a Mazda three hatchback that's been lifted a couple inches.
0: Yeah, and so. Come on, how can you uh, how can you deny that? <laughs> it's a good time. Uh, and so they took that one away and they gave me a uh, Lexus ES350 um, F-Sport, which that's another one that, uh, you know, the, the common complaint about the ES350 and, and Lexus obviously in general is that the, the cars were a little sleepy and not really all that, capable in a performance sensor. They just didn't like to be hustled. Um, this was a little different. It, it doesn't mind being hustled. Um, the F sport has a little stiffer suspension, a little more aggressive look. And, and it, it actually was a really good looking car. It's comfortable. Um, it has sportier seats and they were, it was blue, dark blue metallic on the outside and red leather. That's a nice combo. It's (laughs) hard, hard not to enjoy that. Um, it uh, it it you know it it has all of the elements kind of together and, and it has that three point five liter V six that uh, snarls real nicely and has plenty of power. It's they've done enough on this to make it feel appropriately aggressive, and so I was surprised by that. Um, you know the the expected traits are still there. It's still very quiet and refined. But there's like that little bit of not too much. You, you kind of hear the whir of the machinery, which I, I, I appreciated that. You know, you can hear the engine a little bit more than you might think you would. Uh, and it's almost like a throwback. Like there's just this little guttural sound from the, the V6. And it, it kind of thrums through the, uh, through the steering. I'm not saying the steering column shakes or anything. It's a solid platform. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I, I, so I was either I'm getting old or they did a really good job on the, the ES 350
1: this time around. Well, I wouldn't rule out that both of those are true. <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true. It, I mean, it's a big city. It's based on, it's not Camry now, right? It's Avalon. Like it's, it's, well, it's, it's all kind of can, the same thing, but it's bigger.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Camry and Avalon, um, you know, are both, <clears throat> you know, variations of the TNGA platform, you know, the, 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 larger at the the, the larger end of that platform architecture
0: yeah and and the uh no problem with the room in the back seat was was spacious um big trunk the the tnga always has always kind of impressed me um there were a couple of sort of creaks and not not rattles but it makes makes a little bit of noise when you're driving it um trying to exploit that performance from the, the big wheels and the stiffer suspension, uh, you know, sportier tires. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I would say that they all do that. This is a press car.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, they, they tend to sometimes get beaten. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think, too, it's one of those cars that around town, it, it has the right mix of uh, performance and tuning. I think if you were to, to try this on a track day, you'd quickly find that it's not the car for that. You know, it, it's going to fall apart in terms of its performance. Um, but it's one of those cars that on the street feels really good. Because um, I mean, there were a couple of times where I, I found the limits. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, there we go. Um, so it's, and you know, it's, 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 it's really good up until the limit and then all of a sudden you have found them it's it's not not scary but it's it's just uh it it and sometimes it fools you a little bit i guess um to to just like because it looks so so aggressive and it, it, it gives off these vibes like i i am a I, i'm a driving machine <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. Then you attempt it, and you're like, oh no, nope. There, there it is. <laughs> There's the understeer. We're gonna be careful here. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a pleasant pleasant car that has a little bit of an edge to it. So uh, it, it's it's hard to really complain about the ES350. It's very luxurious. It's very well done. The infotainment still sucks. Um, it did have Apple CarPlay, so that was a plus. Um, but it's not. Meh. Their their infotainment's not that well done and i i hope that they i've been giving toyota a pass on this for a couple of years now saying i'm sure they're working on it so damn it <laughs> 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 they they have to be done working on it now they have to upgrade this stuff
1: it's yeah it's it's not good um just the does the es have the trackpad or yes what's okay. yeah i didn't yeah.
0: find the trackpad terrible but it's it's not it's not as good as the old the the little mouse thing, the little joystick they used to have, because yeah. you can't really orient yourself on it. So you, there's wasted motion there, and it's, you know, when you're driving, you're trying to move the stupid highlight around to what you want, and you don't, you miss it, and and there's there's like extra clicks. There's like three extra.
1: Yeah, I always thought you know that that little mouse stubby joystick thing was a lot more precise control than what you get out of this trackpad.
0: Yeah. And then just the the fact that like, so for example, I wanted to turn the AC off and so you have to click into climate and then you can see AC and you can see that it's on, but you can't select it because you have to actually hit the bottom. There's a hard button on the bottom of the trackpad uh, you got. You have to hit that, and then it brings up a sub menu, which you then can select. You see,
1: that's it. that's exactly wrong. And I was like, "What? Why do sh- you do that?" If you want to turn off AC, there should be a button, a physical button that you press, off. And yeah. That's it. And I understand One- here too. Like they just
0: want it to default to auto, and I, I get that. But yeah.
1: But you, even you know, in most other cars, even if you have automatic climate control, there's usually one button that turns everything off, turns off the AC, the fan, everything. You I know, probably could have turned you it, turn off, it on. Turn it on. Yeah.
0: But <laughs> I, I just wanted to shut the air conditioner off. I didn't <laughs> I wanted the vent to still blowing. Like, you know, it's just, I'm not sure what the decision making process is with this stuff, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it just does. I don't get it either. Like, um, why do I need to press three things just to do one function? Like that's to me, it, it, I I it's inexplicable. I, I can't I can't understand why it's so difficult to use. Um, and then just to go back and forth, you know, there's multiple. It has a decent size screen, but you can you can get confused about you, you know what I, what you're actually trying to select. And so I wound up having like two different nav screens up, you know, <laughs> the map and the map, and it was like what the hell.
1: Um, yeah, I've I've struggled with that system on multiple. Luxi and it's just it's just not a good design.
0: No, no, and, and like I'm sure you could probably use the underlying uh, hardware and software, but you've got to clean up the user interface and make it better because no. it's it's just not it's not great to use. And and that's you know these days that's a real selling feature of a car, especially a premium car like this. Like somebody's gonna try that car out. They're gonna test drive it. They're gonna plug in their device. It's, it's, it should come up. It should be easy to use. It should be easy to Get the functions that you want um and i know that at this end of the market too you set everything up to your preferences and then it kind of it becomes an extension of of your other devices too so the car just knows what you want and, and does it it's not easy to do that here some cars it's really easy to set them up this one is not so um but to drive it was was fine it was, it was i i appreciated the driving it, that that 3.5 liter v6 and the the um Automatic transmission that they have on that. Man, Toyota does good powertrain.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, do. They, um, they do. They do that well.
0: Well, let's keep talking about powertrain. Um, because the saddest news I've heard in a long time is that the Ford Mustang GT350, do I get all the names? There's a Shelby GT350.
1: Shelby GT350. Okay,
0: so the cool. Shelby GT350. It, it's ending production. So that Voodoo V8 um, with the flat plane crank is done. There's one final edition you drove. So did you try out the heritage
1: edition? Uh, We did. Um, They, they brought out uh, some heritage editions last week and uh, they, they did a little local drive program here uh, near Ann Arbor um, over a couple of days and um, got a chance to spend uh, about two and a half hours just tooling around in that thing. And uh, it's glorious. (laughs) I know. I love that car. (laughs) You know, uh, when, back in 2013, I was actually working for an agency that was supporting Ford communications. Um, and you know, I actually wrote the, the press kit for the 2015 Mustang and, and most of the, um, the 50th anniversary of Mustang press materials over the course of 2013 and the early part of 2014 before I, before I left there, um, and took my, my current job and mid somewhere around mid 2013, um actually in early 13 i had been in the design studio for uh you know for what they call an immersion you know where they they had a group of us um and we went through a bunch of different stuff getting a deep dive on the new car on the 2015 car and one of the things in the studio was the clay model of the gt350 <laughs> yeah, don't pay attention to that. Pay, yeah, pay no well, attention. no, no, I mean, they, they, I mean, you know, they, they told us what it, what it was and, you know, they didn't get any details at the time. And, you know, later on talking to, um, to somebody in engineering, you know, I learned what was special about the GT350, you know, up to that point for the previous decade, they had been doing GT500s with a supercharged V8, which they now have again, but the, the GT350, was going to have a naturally aspirated V8. And um, at, th- I, at the time, I didn't know that it was going to be a flat plane crank V8. And a f- couple of months later, I was out on Oakwood Boulevard across the street from the, the test track, the, the Dearborn Development Center, uh, which is Ford's main proving grounds. And I saw a prototype Mustang coming out of the gate. And then I heard it as it was accelerating away. And it's like, what the... I had never heard a Mustang sound like that before. Right. And, you know, then when I sat down with the, with the engineers at what was at the time still SVT, later renamed to Ford Performance, I learned all about what they had done on that engine. And, you know, there was a flat plane crank, 5.2 liter, um, and learned that it, you know, had a red line of 8,250 RPM, <laughs> way higher than any Mustang ever. I know, that's,
0: that was the thing when I drove it. I was like, because you know what a muscle car sounds like when it's time to shift. Yeah. But then you realize, like, well, I'm not anywhere thing near shifting. just keeps on yeah. going. It just yeah. feels so weird because it basically it revs like a VTEC Honda. You
1: know, yeah, like exactly. <laughs> Um it, and it does not sound like one though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, you know, there there are other flat plane crank V 8s you know, usually in, in high performance European cars. Yeah, the M3 know. had um, one.
0: The what was it, the E46 M3 or E90, uh, E ninety M3 had one, I think. Is it the E ninety?
1: Yeah, the E ninety E ninety two M3 had a flat plane crank V eight. And so, you know, the, the they tend to have a, a very distinctive sound, uh that's quite unlike a, a typical V eight engine. Um, although the, uh, the one in the Mustang, the voodoo V8, as they called it was different, was a little bit different from those because it actually, it had a different firing order from what you typically get, uh, on most flat plane crank V8s. Um, and so it, it still has a little bit of that classic, you know, big V8 rumble mixed in with that, that higher pitched sound from revving. And it just sounds amazing. And this this is the thing, you know. I I know we're going electric. You know, everything's going to be electric. And you know, they're they're going to be faster than this thing. I mean, hell, the the Mustang Mach E GT is going to be faster than a GT350. You know, zero to sixty but, and quarter mile. And we'll but talk about that. Right. It does, but it's not the same. It doesn't you know, matter. You you miss <laughs> you miss that visceral feeling of the sound and the you know the vibration you know i mean v8s are smooth but they also they still at idle they have that they have that little bit of that one little first bump. order yeah. yeah yeah that little that little rumble uh, and it feels like it's alive and you don't get that from evs I, I remember back in 2008 when i first drove the the tesla roadster for the first time and the same thing you know it, it's you know it's incredibly fast and great handling and everything but it's quiet and it's like something's missing you know yeah and you know, you don't want a synthetic sound, or you know, uh, you don't want a synthesized version of a naturally aspirated engine. In that case, I don't think. But No, I actually um,
0: I like the whale. I like to hear the whale of the engine and the the oh, not the engine, the motor, the inverter, yeah, all of that hardware, and you get to hear the the gearbox too. So I I think yeah. they could just well, go straight cut gears.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they make and, a
0: shitload of noise. <laughs> and,
1: and and that's that's what they do on the Formula E race cars. Oh, do you, you know, they, that's they what, they straight cut them? That, that, yeah, they're straight, straight cut gears. That's what makes the formula Formula E cars sound so cool. They sound like Tie Fighters. Yeah, they're just whale Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you
1: know, and and they actually sound really cool. Yeah, um, but uh, you don't usually get that in, in street cars. But anyway, the, the GT350 is coming to an end. You know, they're in in production now with the GT500. Um, the 350 is done this week. They should be building out the last of them. They should The last of them should be rolling off the line at Flat Rock, either this week or early next week. Uh, they'll finish up the last handful of them. Um, and this last batch that they built are what they call the Heritage Edition. They decided, you know, they were coming to the end of the line. They wanted to do the same livery that was on the original GT350s back in 1964, um, which was Wimbledon White. Uh, the same kind of slightly off white shade that they had as, you know, kind of the the standard color on the regular Mustangs at the time. And with these Guardsman blue stripes over the top and along the rocker panels. And the thing is Ford wanted to replicate that Guardsman blue. They they knew how to do Wimbledon white because they've done that on various special edition Mustangs over the years, including the 2015 50th anniversary edition. But, um, They've never—they never actually had painted Guardsman Blue because those were painted at Shelby American out in California, out in Venice when they were huh. being built.
0: Yeah, who so knows? is in that paint?
1: Ford? Ford had no paint master <laughs> yeah. for it, but they—they they went out to the Shelby archives in Las Vegas at Shelby American and they actually found the paint master for uh, Guardsman Blue and they brought it back to to Michigan and they. Um, they, they managed to get it matched. They got a match for it and the company the, the stripes on the GT350 are actually vinyl. They're not painted on. So the company the, the company, their supplier for those stripes, they worked with them and went through a few iterations and, and finally ma- got a perfect match of the stripes with the, um, the, the paint master. And uh, they had they actually brought out a 65 GT350, you know had it parked next to it and you can see that it was the same color. Um, so the, um, uh, the other, the other thing, the other main thing that they changed on the, the heritage edition, um, is the, the Cobra badges on the, the tail, the grill, and on the, the, um, uh, instrument panel, uh, tipi- traditionally, those are red, um, on all the other GT350s, they've been red for this one, they actually made them guardsman blue. So it matches the stripes. Um, but other than that, it's it's you know basically standard GT350, and they were available um, either uh, as the, the base GT350 or the 350R. I actually got to drive a 350R for a couple hours, and which is great because that's got um, the carbon fiber wheels on it and and the the really nice Recaro seats and everything. Yeah, and yeah the one I drove was...
0: was a 350R, I think, yeah. and uh, it's been a, a few years. That's the only press car I've driven that that I had somebody pull up to me. At a light and ask me to rev it up, (laughs) (laughs) and of course I well I had it in like you know completely open you know as open as you can get most you could hear the thing. And it's like, absolutely, because <laughs> it sounds so good. God, I love it, that car. <laughs> if, if,
1: you, if you ever have a chance to drive a GT350, what you need to do is, like, take it in a parking garage yeah. or, or drive, uh, you know, under a stone railroad bridge like I did a couple of times. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the place we're driving, there's this old stone railroad bridge. And, you know, rev, really rev the shit out of it as you're going under <laughs> this and just feel that echo off the stones and you the know, or drive and it through a tunnel. Yeah, yeah.
0: It'll 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 a little it, overrun. Um oh
1: yeah, it's, no, it's it's fabulous. It's
0: it's one of those cars and it, I'm sad that it's going away. I understand why it is. And and I'm sure the GT five hundred is performance wise better. But I'm just it's
1: it, it's faster.
0: Yeah. Faster I, isn't I, I everything. I wouldn't, though. I
1: wouldn't that's what I was that's what I was about to say. I I don't know that I would necessarily say it's better because it's also heavier. Yeah. You know, it's quite a bit heavier. Uh I mean it's the GT five hundred is by far the best GT five hundred they've ever built. You know, unlike the past, you know, this is the first one with the, with the independent suspension and everything, and it's it's definitely a better handling car. But it is, you know, couple you know like four hundred pounds heavier than the GT three fifty R. Yeah, that's a know, lot. the three fifty. The three fifty R, even with those massive brakes that are on it, is thirty seven hundred pounds, and the you know the GT five hundred is about uh, forty one hundred pounds.
0: Woo! Like, that's forty one hundred pounds. That's only a couple yeah. hundred pounds lighter than than our Grand Cherokee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I do but, not want to drive around like that. You know. It's,
1: but you know, if you put a big supercharged V eight in that Grand Cherokee, the Trackhawk, you know, you're up closer to five thousand pounds yeah, too. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, but it's probably more than that, right? Yeah. With with all the other stuff they put in there, but it's that. That's the thing, though. Like, the numbers are just it. It's they're pointless because yeah. the, it's the way that that car just it's the way it shakes honestly it just like has yeah. that heartbeat you know you the everything sort of sympathetically vibrates with that engine and the way it sounds and everything is just it, it makes it an experience and the lighter lighter weight with 3700 pounds is not exactly light but no these days it's fine Um, but the, the way it's going to handle and the, the way you can, you can manage the mass and, and sort of, you know, throw it around a little bit like that. It was just a, it was a sports car, not a Mustang. You know what I mean? Like it it really, it had finally sort of really come into its own. It was just enough engine, um, and just enough, uh, adhesion and more, more chassis than engine, I think, which was kind of the, the flip side of Mustangs for so long.
1: Right. Well, and that was always the the balance, you know, back in the 60s between the 350 and the 500. You know, the 350 was the small block engine that, you know, that was the car that was designed to go SCCA road racing. Yeah. And, you know, won a bunch of championships. The 500 was the drag car. That's the one you took to the strip, you know, and that eventually evolved, you know, into the Cobra jet. You know, which was the the pure, you know, factory drag racing car. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those were <clears throat> the five hundreds were the big blocks back in the 60s. Yeah.
0: I mean, think about that. A Falcon with an F.E. big block. In it. like you, That's just not a car that like there's no way to make that actually handle very well.
1: <laughs> no. And they didn't. They were terrible. <laughs> uh, but but they could go like go in a straight line like you know like yeah. nothing else.
0: Fine, <laughs> nothing
1: <my> <laughs> but you know compared to compared to today's GT five hundreds you know it, it was a dog. You
0: well, know? yeah.
1: <laughs> even, even with that big block, you know it was only about uh, in SA gross horsepower probably somewhere around three three between three fifty and three hundred seventy five horsepower. Yeah, but at most it was, weighed
0: like three thousand pounds too. Like
1: the Falcon. Like, oh, those big blocks are pretty heavy. The big those block those was were heavy. cast iron blocks.
0: Yeah, but the, the rest of the car was like 13 yeah. pounds. <laughs> 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 there was nothing to them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think so, even even though, like, I I almost want one of the old ones with the big block in it, even though it's going to be so terrible, just because it's going to be terrifying. And so you'll at least feel always, something. Oh, it's
1: terrifying, all right. I, I yeah. drove one in December when I was out in Vegas for the GT500 <laughs> drive. They had a 68 GT500 out there that Haggerty brought out. And, you know, it, uh, you know, I mean, it looked great, but, uh, you know, compared to driving a modern car, you know, it was it was terrible. I mean, you know, all kinds of slop (laughs) in the steering wheel and halfway through the brake pedal travel before much of anything happens. Yeah. And it's all drums. Yeah. Uh, No, it had discs on the front. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, I mean, but that's. That's sort of the thing. Like you get all of this cold competence, and I, I feel like the the GT three fifty had that that balance of
1: like, it still it still had a bit of raw edge to yeah, it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I I like that in a car. Um,
1: but it's not all bad. I mean, in the spring they're gonna have the the Mach one uh, is gonna be available, uh, which you know is not quite a, a three fifty. You know, it kind of cuts you know. The, kind of a, a blend between a gt and a gt 350 a so it has the regular five liter cross crank v8 uh, but it's up to i think 485 or 490 horsepower um and you know it, it doesn't quite have the the look of the, the gt 350 but you know it'll it'll still be plenty of fun
0: i look i mean we i can we really complain about the Mustang. No. Like we're we're splitting hairs here. And like yeah. the yes, it's a very special car. We very much liked the engine. It's neat. Uh there's not really much to complain about with the no. cross plane V8 or anything like that. The, is that still the Coyote? It's the Coyote, right? Like the
1: It's it's based on the Coyote block, uh, but it's it's a modified version of the block, uh bigger bores and it has the uh the plasma coated bores. Yeah. On it um like the like the g t five hundreds do so instead of um uh steel liners in there uh it's aluminum liners with a a plasma coating on there on there to uh, give it the durability it needs to to rev to eighty two thousand eighty two hundred and fifty r p m
0: yeah that's a good time so yeah uh i think it's it's more of just like a thank you Ford for <laughs> for building it for a couple of years. And I honestly, I don't know how it sold. Like that might be the other thing too. It's like they're like we're not we're done losing money on this thing. <laughs> no, I
1: don't I don't think they lost money on it. Um, you know, they they sold several thousand a year uh over its run, which was which was good. Um, and it, you know, one of the things that was explained to me was, you know, back in 2007, when they um, relaunched the uh, the GT500. The um, prior to that, they had the SVT Cobra. So on the S197 Mustangs, the old uh, the, the the previous generation, uh, they had, uh, or rather, on the SN95s. Uh, sorry, the the GT500 was the S197. On the SN95s, it was called the was the supercharged high-end version was just the SVT Cobra. And one of the things that they learned from that program is while people liked them, they didn't actually get any extra profit margin on them. You know, it was like a couple hundred dollars extra profit margin on them versus selling a GT. Uh, so they were at a higher price point, but the gap between the cost and what they what they the revenue was you know was not much different. One of the things they learned was when they put a Shelby badge on it. They could charge a lot more money. People would pay a lot more money for the same car with a Shelby badge. Shelby noticed that like, too. <laughs> oh yeah, oh he he did. Yeah. Um, and so you know they they sell those at a at a much higher profit margin than they do you know standard Mustangs. So they they certainly made money on it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, good for them. Um, yeah. You know, it's not like it's bad for us anyway. They're still coming out with cool stuff. Yeah. I think our point with the GT 350 GT 500 conversation was that, you know, like the numbers are kind of, they're not as material as you would think. Um, and with, uh, electric vehicles, I think that one of the things that every time there's a new electric vehicle out there, new EV comes out, a, it's an, a luxury car and B, they talk about how scorchingly quick it gets to 60 miles an hour. Like, you know, get this one does it in like a half a second. Um, yeah. it, it's such nonsense. The numbers don't matter um, when to, to 60. Like, we've proven that, they, yes, they have lots and lots of torque and they can get it to the ground very effectively. So what?
1: <laughs> My point exactly. I, I wrote a, a post on our company blog at GuideHouseInsights.com. Um, and, you know, it's, it's gotten so ridiculous. You know, you know, with something like the GT350 – I wasn't driving it anywhere near its limits, and I still had a ball with it. Um, the It didn't need to be as powerful as it was. You know, it was 525 horsepower. It didn't need to be that powerful. Just my my, cur- my personal car, my Miata, certainly nowhere near that. You know, it was like 116 horsepower when it was new 30 years ago. And who knows what it is now? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, rec- I actually recently... Found my uh, my old performance timer and stuck it on there and went out and did some zero to sixty runs and it was about nine and a half seconds. That's and plenty. It, do- it doesn't matter because it's <laughs> so much fun to drive. EVs, you know, starting with the Tesla Roadster, you know, one of the things that Tesla did with the Roadster was demonstrate that EVs could be fun. You know, they didn't have to be, you know, this you know l- slow appliance, you know, a golf cart. They, they proved that it could be an exciting car and the the roadster you know did zero to 60 in 4 seconds
0: 4 seconds uh, to 60 is like that's corvette c6 that's, fast that, that that's is fast yeah,
1: it's it's really fast uh so you know what what we're seeing now you know with some of these high end evs is just getting absurd you know we talked a couple of weeks ago about lucid and the launch of the lucid air and at the time they said one of the, one of the things they were claiming was you know, this thing would go, um, do it run a quarter mile in 9.9 seconds. You know, which is, I mean, that's Dodge Demon numbers.
0: What?
1: You know, for a, a luxury four-door what? sedan.
0: Somebody's just gonna plow but, that into like a Starbucks.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, like, you, you know, and, no. and, and you know, we've been seeing you know from Tesla for for several years now with the Model S and the Model X and the the Y, and we've seen Faraday Future claiming that they're quicker. You know, getting into like the low two-second range, zero to sixty. Yeah you know, that that is just ridiculously fast. We don't need cars that go that fast, you know, unless you're planning to take these things to a track and this is that's the only place where you should be using that kind of performance is on a track. There's no way you should be accelerating that fast on public streets. It it's it's totally irresponsible. And I'm somebody that likes to drive fast and I don't do that kind of nonsense when there's especially if there's anybody around. Uh, you know, this is we don't need evs to be that fast um i remember back in the late 80s early 90s there was a controversy in europe because a lot of uh high-end german cars you know were were getting you know they were approaching top speeds of 200 miles an hour you know when they had cars like the original amg hammer and and some of the other ones and they, the German government actually threatened to impose speed limits on all of the autobahn, and so the industry actually came together and said, "Okay, look, don't do that. Don't don't do the speed limits on the autobahn. We will voluntarily agree to limit the top speed of our cars to 155 miles an hour, 250 and, kilometers and, and per hour."
0: And they did until you took it to somebody like AMG, which then would remove well, the speed yeah. limit. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but. You know, I mean, they, they at least did something. Yeah. And I think it's time, you know, for EV makers. You know, now, you know, last week at the Tesla Battery Day, you know, Musk talked about, um, you know, the uh, Model S Plaid, you know, which is going to be a three-motor version of the Model S. There's also a three-motor version of the, the Lucid Air. You know, they were saying they were uh, they just the day before, or a couple of days before Battery Day, Uh, They took it to Laguna Seca and, you know, set a record for, you know, a four-door production tent car uh, and, you know, did quarter mile in 9.2 seconds with this thing. And, you know, then the the Model S Plaid went even faster. Okay, you've made your point. These things are faster than we could make any um, production internal combustion cars. Frankly, I don't think we should be making internal combustion cars that fast either. I, you know, 1,500-horsepower yeah. you know, Bugatti Chirons is just it's stupid. It's idiotic. Um, and I, I think that we need to, to back off and stop putting so much emphasis on the, the acceleration performance of these things because the reality is most drivers cannot handle that level of performance. They, they, they haven't training
0: – there's it's still rare for a car to be that quick i I wouldn't want to try to exploit that kind of performance and and you know i've I've driven a lot of high performance cars uh zero to sixty that fast is like that's that's fast and a, and a, you know something that's gonna be able to get up to a hundred and thirty hundred and forty miles an hour without a much of a problem that's really fast. <laughs> and yeah. Well, um, Unless you do it a lot, you, you do not have enough practice to, to no, understand how quickly you're on top of things, how, how tiny your inputs need to be to not upset the car. Like, no, don't, don't do it. <laughs>
1: yeah. And it's, you know, it's all, o- it's only getting worse. I mean, Lotus is about to launch the production version of the Avaya, their first electric car. You know, they've been going through final validation testing recently. Um, and this, you know, they're they're only gonna build 130 of these and they're gonna cost two million dollars. And it's got two thousand horsepower. That's why. <laughs> Fine.
0: Why? I, I mean, you know so here's the I thing mean, that I In just, the case
1: of the Avaya, most of those are gonna end up being garage queens anyway. They're they're never gonna get driven. This is a shame.
0: But yeah. Because I'm sure they're actually gonna drive really well because they're a lotus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um the uh the thing that I just come back to is like, well, these are about energy efficiency, but they're not really like, I think it's great that it's been proven that they can be fun. They can be desirable. Uh, they, they can be a different niche in the market. Great. All of that is really good because it's created demand and it's created conversation. And the, these are all good things. But what if you just backed off the performance a little bit?
1: <laughs> and, well,
0: you know, maybe yeah, the, you could the, be more efficient. <laughs>
1: yeah. The 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 reality is yeah you know, certainly you know Lucid's done a lot to improve efficiency Tesla's you know doing a lot for efficiency you know that's that's great but you know you're certainly not going to achieve that efficiency when you're using that level of performance you know right. to, to get that you know to get 500 miles of range you know you're not going to accelerate to zero zero to sixty in two seconds yeah. um, you know you do that you're going to get closer to 100 miles of range but uh, you know at this point it's really more about the, the leaders of these companies. You know, it's a, you know, it's a measuring contest. Right. And I'm not talking about measuring the speed of the, the the vehicles.
0: Yes. I mean, well, and it takes a certain kind of person. I, I'm using the word person's just staying in for whatever. But it takes a certain kind of person to to be the figurehead for one of these companies, partially because I think the the paradigm was set. With Tesla, where you have this kind of demagogue at the head of the company, um, and we've seen some other other ways of doing it. You know, the, Lucid, for example, is is a sort of an all star team of experienced professionals. Um, but you know, Rivian and uh, Nikola, they both sort of have their own guy at the you know at the the top, who's s- sort of well. nikolas
1: you know, Trevor Milton's gone now.
0: But. Well. Yeah, that, that's, I don't that's know enough about story. that situation. It It's just sounds really messy and, and, uh, whatever. Um, but you know, like that's the thing there was, there's a, an EV company and then there's the person who's at the top, who is sort of like the mastermind. Right. And, um, that needs to go away <laughs> quite honestly, yeah. like, uh, because it's, it's more of that, like that hero complex thing, right? Like it's, it's a. It's a sort of tech leaning um paradigm, like Steve Jobs at Apple or the cult
1: of personality. yeah,
0: exactly. that's that's a perfect way to put it and and I'm all set with that. <laughs> I think a lot of people are. Uh, okay, just give us good products and products that don't use um, a, a lot of energy in any way, you know, like you still have to put the electricity in the batteries. So try to keep as much in the battery for as long as possible. <laughs> it only holds like what three gallons of gas worth of energy i mean you know come on uh try to try to do a good job with that um so i'd be really curious to see like if we set if we said hey we're gonna make an ev it's gonna cost thirty five thousand dollars. it's gonna go zero to 60 in nine ten seconds um but it's it's you know it's going to go 500 miles. Like I think that's something we could probably do or get to. Pretty I mean, easily. you
1: could even do, you know, faster than that, you know, 0 to 60 in 6 seconds, you know, or even 5 seconds. Is fine you know the a chevy bolt you know we'll do zero to 60 in about six and a half seconds that's pretty quick and and that's that's quick <laughs> yeah it's it's that's plenty quick enough you know and you know for higher end cars you know do it in five seconds that's that's not crazy that's not unreasonable i you know i think that's that's perfectly acceptable you know beyond that yeah, and and this goes for for internal combustion cars too. I think we need to start backing off on some of the performance and and focus on other areas. Yeah,
0: I think actually it goes more for internal combustion cars because the yeah. the you can't you know with like a with an EV it's just kind of like a rheostat um, where like if you're not using it you're not using it. But you you can't really dial back. You can use like cylinder deactivation and stuff on an internal combustion engine and sort of dial it back. But there's no way to make it as efficient as an EV when you're not using. All the potential, you know. So, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I'm okay with slower cars that are more fun to drive. You know, make them lighter, make them, mm-hmm. make them smaller, make them, make them slower. It's fine. Like, it's th- like I mean, the CX30 it was it was not all that fast, but I had a really good time in it. Miata is a perfect example too. So, yeah. Uh, this episode has been sponsored by Mazda.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they released all the specs um, finally on the powertrains for the the new 2021 F150. Which uh, will be driving uh, in early November. Um, They've launched production. They've started production in Dearborn, and um, about uh, four weeks from now, I'll have the first drive of that. Uh, And this is this one. uh, This generation is the first one to have a hybrid powertrain. Which they for a couple of years now, they've been talking about. You know, they're doing things a little bit different with this hybrid. Um, They're they're really focusing on people that are using these things as a truck so the goal was to not sacrifice capability uh, but to enhance capability while still um, you know maintaining good fuel economy so it's not designed for you know ultimate you know fuel economy but um, to to give you good fuel economy while still have, being able to tow 12,700 pounds um, and have a payload of 2,100 pounds in this thing, which is really impressive. Um, you know, it's slightly less than what you get with the five liter V8, um, you know, which does 13,000 pound towing or the three point, the standard 3.5 liter EcoBoost, which is 14,000 pounds towing. Um, but, uh, the, you know, the, the power boost, you know, combines the, the EcoBoost V6 with an electric motor that is it's Ford's modular hybrid design, so the motor sits in between um, the engine and the torque converter, um, or is
0: it? It's somewhere I can't in remember. I, hey, it's, it's, I can't
1: remember if the torque converter is before <laughs> or after the electric motor, but anyway— uh, it's I in would it's, it's, it's in there in the transmission.
0: Uh, hmm, that's interesting. I was gonna say I would assume it's after it because if you put it before, you've got to drive, through you got to lose efficiency through the torque converter, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, so engine torque converter uh, and then electric motor and then the transmission. And one of the the cool features that they have with this is uh, you know electric power generation from this thing. Uh, so the standard with the power boost is two point four kilowatt. Uh, power output for to power tools at a worksite uh, or anywhere else. You know, power any equipment, an electrical equipment that you want. And then the optional upgrade is seven point four or seven point two kilowatts, including a two hundred and forty volt uh, outlet. <laughs> you so can run your dryer. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can run your dryer, or you know, for you know, for contractors, you know, you can run a a welder off of that, uh, or, you know, a lot of other, a lot of other equipment. And what this does, because this setup is more efficient, um, compared to, you know, a lot of contractors, uh, they will take uh, a gas generator, you know, they'll haul around a gas generator in their truck, take that to a job site and use that to power their tools and, you know, charge up their tools. Uh, you know, those tend to be Dirtier, you know. They don't have emission controls on them. They, they're not as fuel efficient. This is going to be much more fuel efficient, even even if you deplete the battery and you're, you've got the engine running. It's still going to be a, a cleaner, more efficient setup than running a gas generator. And it's quiet. So, oh my and, god, it's so much, much more quieter. quieter. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, this is this is going to be a pretty impressive setup. You know, for anybody that needs power uh, to to power other equipment. Um, you know, and I think I think that uh it's uh, it's going to it's going to be a very appealing uh configuration and it's only I think it's like a it's less than $2000 premium over the the base uh the standard 3.5 liter eco boost. If what I've uh, seen
0: from truck prices holds true lately though this is yeah. going to be like a $45,000 base price truck.
1: In um, this yeah, I, I went through. I, w- I went through the configurator, you know, because you can actually get this like on the lower, tr- like on the XLT. Oh, do they have build build-in
0: price up? Is that yeah? Okay,
1: yeah, it's 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 available now, and I, I went through it. You can you can actually get the hybrid, you know, for in the low forty thousand dollar range. I think it might even be less than that. Uh, which you know, it's, it's funny, you know, back in the the late two thousands, two 2007, thousand seven, eight, nine. Uh, when GM introduced their two-mode hybrid on the full-size SUVs and on the uh, pickup trucks, you know, at that time it was that system was a twenty-thousand-dollar yeah, price premium. It, it was, was very really expensive. expensive. Yeah. Actually, the price premium was not twenty. It was about it was about ten grand, but the cost to GM was about twenty right. thousand dollars. GM has this habit they of like
0: a- shooting themselves in the foot with the, tra- the, the, the like the Sierra C3 was the same thing where it had that that rear-wheel steering, and they, they eventually like sold them off for less than the price of just the parts yeah. <laughs> so, to build it. Cause they're like, yeah, whatever. We we can't make money on that thing. So hopefully they do better. Yeah. <laughs> on the uh, next
1: so, uh, you know, this, this one, it should, it should do pretty well. I think, I think it, I think it's going to be a popular option for, for customers that need this kind of capability. Um, you know, certainly, you know, if you're towing twelve and a half thousand pounds with this thing, you're not going to get 23 miles per gallon, which is what it's rated at but uh you know it it'll it should still do pretty well
0: yeah it i mean i i just like how thoughtful ford has been with all of their updates to this particular generation you know the, the 2021 f150 really sounds like uh ford is aggressively protecting its its biggest moneymaker, which they they absolutely should um but they're making really significant thoughtful improvements that um will please the people who use the trucks, you know, in, in a wide variety of ways. And I saw a hilarious, uh, story that to test it, the engineers took like a stove and <laughs> yeah. a bunch of stuff down to like a, uh, a, a camping, um, facility or something. And they had all this electrical stuff in the back of the, back of the truck, which I thought that's great. That's, <laughs> um, you know, so there's the contractor use for the, the, the upgraded, you know with the 220 volt and stuff you know is there is there really a practical use for that for the the casual buyer of the f-150 because there's a lot of those buyers too like what would compel you to buy that
1: probably not yeah um i i would think you you're probably it's you know if if what you're looking for is the best fuel efficiency um, you're actually better off with the 2.7 liter EcoBoost. I think that's actually the most. Uh, well, it depends. Uh, if you're if you're towing, your best fuel efficiency option is going to be the three liter diesel. Uh, that's, you know, that's that's a good one, engine. Oh my god. that's a great engine, yeah. and it's the one that you know when you're towing, you're not going to lose all. You know, it's still going to have decent fuel economy even when you're towing. You know, you can, you can tow, you know, 10,000 pounds with that and still be getting 25 miles per gallon. Whereas, you know, you do that with an EcoBoost V6, you're getting about 14 or 15 miles per gallon. Um, For just the average person, you know, if you're not towing all the time, uh, if you're, you know, doing occasional towing or, you know, just hauling stuff in the bed. The 2.7 liter EcoBoost is probably the best option uh, that's going to get you the best combination of fuel economy and um, you know price and uh, you know affordability and capability. Um, and then you know the, the the hybrid is really if you need you know that that really high end towing capability and the power takeoff capability. That's that's where you're going to get the advantage there.
0: Yeah. They they have a lot of choices. I'm just looking at it now. So the the standard engine is a 3.3 liter V6, which I didn't I didn't realize they made.
1: <laughs> yeah, that you know they don't you know those are mostly sold to fleets that want the cheapest possible truck.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh,
1: not not too many consumers buy those.
0: Um, and then they've got the 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 Nano, the two point seven and three point five, and the it the, looks the, like the, the, two,
1: the two seven's the most popular option. Yeah, you which know, makes that's sense.
0: The, that's such a good engine. It's so punchy yeah. and, and um, it is pretty efficient. Um, so the hybrid is really like uh, in an XLT, like a crew cab. It's yeah, it's about forty five thousand dollars starting price for the hybrid because uh, it's it's uh, forty forty two six fifty for the the crew cab. And it's a forty-seven, one forty-five with the hybrid. So,
1: yeah, you can you can get an XL with the hybrid. Okay. With the hybrid, okay. Yeah, for like forty-three,
0: five. So that's I mean it's it's priced very aggressively. You know, there's 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 so many options in (laughs) Truckville. Yeah. That uh, you can get exactly what you want. Um, So somebody was asking me today too. When is the um, when is the Super Duty? Coming and we I, and I I didn't have an answer other than like well we're probably going to ride twenty twenty one
1: they just did a mid cycle update on the Super Duties for twenty twenty
0: yeah I, it's okay so if um, they so, did a mid cycle for twenty twenty then we're probably not going to yeah. see them till like twenty twenty three or twenty four
1: right? yeah I I, would, I would think twenty twenty three probably
0: yeah so a little I I thought they'd been a little bit sooner I I thought we might see them in in twenty one as twenty twos but um.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it would probably be 22 as a 23 model year, yeah. so late, late 22, so a couple of years from now.
0: It, it, they're not bad trucks, though. <laughs> no. I, I liked the, uh, the I had an F350 a while ago, and it, it was not gnarly, even though it had a, you know.
1: Yeah, and, you know, they just got that new 7.3 liter gas engine in the Super Duties, and they still have the 6.7 liter diesel, so.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, trucks, are, trucks are where there's that uh, sort of all the emphasis right now. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Indeed. else is kind of slacked off. Um, so, all right. Did we have any... We did have some questions from Twitter. We, uh, are there we? any others? Uh,
1: we had a couple of email questions. <clears throat> First one is from Tristan Olley. Uh, Tristan says, uh, big fan of the show. Really enjoy how in-depth you go on the industry as opposed to just talking about zero to 60 times. Uh, <laughs> Re- Rebecca has been a great addition and enjoy the different points of view you bring from your experience in the industry. <clears throat> My question for all of you is is, what is the future of the manual transmission with most brands planning to electrify their entire lineups? Uh, Every vehicle I've ever owned has been a manual starting with my 1993 Toyota Celica. Uh, Will we see hybrid cars with manuals? Um, Having the fun of a manual with some extra fuel economy sounds like a win. I know the CRZ was available with a manual. Is there a technical reason newer cars could not use a similar setup or just the market for such a vehicle is too small? Well, Tristan, uh, unfortunately, the answer is there is no future for manual transmissions. <laughs> um,
0: I, I think, though, because this, the market is too small.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and really, you know, with um, with electric vehicles, you don't even really need a transmission at all. I mean, electric vehicle, most most EVs just have a single speed setup, which is nothing more than a reduction gear, you know, to get you down from – you know, the, the electric motors run at much higher speeds than uh, than, you know, than the wheels need to turn. So you basically just have a reduction gear set on there, which is, you know, essentially just a final drive. Um, so not really a transmission at all. There's a few, like the Porsche Taycan actually has a two-speed transmission on the rear axle and a single speed on the front axle, uh, which theoretically can get you a little better efficiency. Um, because you can get the the motor running more in its sweet spot, but uh, you know, for the most part, you're you're not going to see manual transmissions with electrics, and even with hybrids, you know, most hybrids don't even use. Uh, you know, the CRZ was like the, the last S- hybrid, the last hybrid with a manual. You know, the, the the first generation Insight also offered a manual.
0: Yeah, well, I think the CRZ was kind of an extension of that integrated motor. It system. was, yeah, and, and it it wasn't. It wasn't awful to drive, but it it wasn't great either. If I it was it was not sporty, which so the CRZ kind of sold itself as something that it wasn't. It's still, I mean, it's a fun car. It's a nice curiosity, Um, but yeah, I I I think that you really just um, the the manual transmission is a thing from the past. It's fun to drive. It's a thing that you know we all take pride in mastering. Um, Although, I mean, think about it now. It's not that hard.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: we all mastered it when we were teenagers, right
1: like the, um, there, there, you know there is another thing about manual transmissions as well, um, and one of the reasons why manufacturers have moved away from them besides just the lack of demand from consumers, uh, it, it used to be that manual transmissions would get better fuel economy than automatics, and that's no longer the case with modern automatic transmissions that have you know seven, eight, ten gears and electronic controls now you know they can they manage the engine and the transmission together and they can really optimize you know the operation of the two to maximize fuel economy at least on you know the the test cycles Uh, but even even real world you can usually get better fuel economy with a modern automatic transmission than you can with a manual um, just because it's it shifts much more precisely Uh, Much faster than, you know, than you can shift a manual. Uh, And it's because it's, you know, it's operating in its sweet spot more of the time. um, You're just never going to be able to match that with a manual transmission. And that's that's part of why ma- uh, manufacturers have moved away from them.
0: Yeah, I mean, manuals are, like, it's a reactive thing, right? Like, for for the emissions. And that's one of the reasons, actually, why a modern manual is kind of unpleasant to drive. Uh, when we get them um, in, in media cars, they're not like the old manuals. You know, uh, there's a lot of electronics going on. And so it's it's actually kind of hard sometimes to drive certain vehicles with the manual transmission smoothly because there's it's feathering the throttle for you it's messing with the clutch and and the, the the emissions need to be so tightly controlled that you know you can't just dump it into third gear i mean you can but you need know, dump it into third gear and you know short shift and and it's 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 not like it used to be um, there's there's
1: a lot there's a lot of stuff between happening between your right foot and the engine uh, yeah, you know, and the cylinders that is out of your control.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of filter. Um, yeah. and, and so that makes it less pleasant and less rewarding than it used to be. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we'll probably see transmissions stick around on, on EVs as we start going for, you know, more and more uh, range and efficiency. Like, that's a way to achieve that. But, you know, Tesla had a problem with their first, with the Roadster, right? It was supposed to have a two-speed gearbox and they never got that working right. So... Um, it, it's, they, they
1: had a, they had a tendency to break after about a thousand miles or so.
0: Yeah. That's, that's no good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and they're not the only ones. Like it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. You know, a, a gearbox that can stand up to that kind of torque is electric motors. They, they can give you all the torque you want. <laughs> um, instantly. Uh, and that's, that's why you don't really need a transmission so much anymore. You know, um, so that's, that's, it's not a bad thing though, because you you wind up with a less complex vehicle less stuff to break and less expensive which you know goes into the batteries (laughs) which are more expensive yeah i don't know um so unfortunately i i agree i think the market uh for manuals is going away so hang on to your your car whatever you're driving now hang on to it if it has a manual
1: All right. Um, Next up, uh, Joshua Brentano is asking, uh, we have two young kids and we're approaching the age where we can start some extended road trips. So it's time for a minivan. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I have two questions. We want it fully loaded. What is your recommendation for a fully loaded minivan? Uh, I've looked over and over at the offerings from all the manufacturers and they all seem sort of similar. Uh, I feel like I'm always narrowing it down to Honda and Chrysler, but I'm open to your expertise. We may very well be replacing my dad's uh, – question number two, we may very well be replacing my dad's 3 Series BMW, so it would be awesome if I could soup it up. Um, I'm <laughs> assuming he's referring to the minivan. Dad would like, to be, uh, would like it to be fun to drive and cool to look at. Um, LOL. Do any of these makes have any kind of decent aftermarket or performance parts for minivans? Thanks for fun and informative show, Joshua. Uh, so, you know, I mean, there's there's no longer a whole lot of options for minivans. You're basically down to four. Um, the P- Chrysler Pacifica, the Honda Odyssey, Toyota Sienna, which is all new for 2021. Uh, and the um, Kia uh, Sedona, uh, which is also getting a redesign for 2021. Um uh, Certainly, you know we haven't tried out the the new um, the new Sienna yet. Uh, you know, I have a feeling that it's going to feel very much like um, the new Highlander, which is fine. You know, it's certainly not something that I would call sporty or fun, but it's you know it's effective. Um, to be honest, I wouldn't call any of these particularly sporty or fun, but you know they're they're designed for a task which is to move people and stuff and you know do it very effectively um you know the the Honda the Odyssey and the uh, Pacifica are both excellent at doing that job i I, yeah.
0: I think my pick for like an actual practical family van would be the Pacifica um because it, yeah, it really does. It comes down to those two, the Odyssey and the Pacifica, because the, the is not here yet. And I don't know, it's been forever since I was last into Sedona, but it looks better than it drives. Um, yeah.
1: It's a, uh, yeah, as far as aftermarket stuff, um, I, I looked around earlier today <laughs> and didn't really find any aftermarket performance stuff still for, for the, any of these.
0: I, yeah, I think anything for uh, most things for an Accord Would probably fit the Odyssey, Um, and there's some JDM stuff, right? Like, or there's just some people who modify them, modify the Odyssey. I don't think there's any enthusiasm for the Pacifica Mm, in the aftermarket at all.
1: Yeah, Mopar does make a bunch of accessories, uh, you know, appearance-wise for the Pacifica, Uh, so you know you can certainly soup up the looks a little bit, um, but you're not really going to find any performance stuff for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you don't you don't want it <laughs> yeah not not in a minivan um the, yeah the odyssey uh from what i've observed hits a midlife crisis around 110 hundred and ten, hundred and thirty thousand miles where it just like there's there's some expensive stuff that needs fixing um on those i don't know what the pacifica is like so you should definitely if you plan to keep it for a very long time and get all your money out of it um check out sort of the long-term reliability. Um, but try try several different uh, sites or, or whatever. Uh, because like, you know, consumer reports, I don't know that enough consumer reports readers buy Chrysler's. They tend to be very loyal to Toyota and Honda. So I don't know that there's enough data there. So to look around and see what kind of data you might find about sort of long-term ownership experience and, and you know, bear that in mind. Because what parent wants to be, you know, Taking a loss on the thing in three years, when yeah. you have college funds to raid. <laughs>
1: one 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 thing you might want to consider, um, since you're probably not going to have any real performance options, um, is the Pacifica hybrid, which is a, a plug-in hybrid with like 32, 33 miles of electric range.
0: It's awesome. And
1: and for your around-town driving, you know, if you plug it in at night, unplug it in the morning, you can basically do most of your driving completely on electricity without ever using any gas. Uh, And, you know, then when it's time for those road trips, um, and are you really sure you want to do that? Um, But, you know, when it comes time for those road trips, you don't have to really plan, you know, where you're going to stop for charging, you know, like you would if it was a pure EV. You just drive it like a hybrid, and it gets really good fuel economy even, you know, in hybrid mode. So that's something to consider. Um, Also, the 2021 Pacifica, um, that's launching imminently. Um, you know, it's getting a mid-cycle update. It's going to be the first, one of the first, uh, FCA vehicles to get their new Uconnect 5 infotainment system, um, which is thoroughly updated, much, much improved from Uconnect 4. Yeah. I think I got um, a
0: walkthrough of that back uh, a couple of months ago and I was impressed with how thoughtful they were about it and how they, you know, they did listen to, User feedback and and you know adjust the touch targets and there's a lot of, a lot of customization you can do with it and and so that will be a good upgrade.
1: Yeah, um, you know and then you know the both of them you know offer a lot of features you know you've got lots of USB ports all around for charging devices you know so the kids you know if they've got uh, tablets or laptops or something you know or what or games that they want to play um, you know they can keep those charged so they're not pestering you too much. Um, You know, you've got, um, you know, lots of space in there for, you know, all of the essentials that you have to take along when you're, when you're hauling kids along with you. So, you know, I think either one of them would be an excellent choice.
0: I I think honestly, like the the Pacifica is the one I would choose. I just think it it has the best combination of features. It's the the best priced out there. I think You're, you're just, you're just likely to get a better deal on it. Um, it, it looks better. It drives better. Well, the Honda has a little bit of sportiness to it, um, but it's, I I don't know. I think as an overall package, the Pacifica is really, really tough to beat. Um, the hybrid, you do miss out on stone go but if you, if you don't get the hybrid, you, you get the stone go seats, which is nice. Um, but that, I don't know that that's a deal breaker without them. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I think they, they know what they're doing with the van and that's a, that's a really well done van. Um, and kids love vans. If you have yeah. to put your kids in a van, because you know most cars these days are tanks, they can't see out of them. My kids lost their minds <laughs> the first time we had a minivan as a media load, because you put them in it and you put their seats in there, you know, and then you, you latch and they could actually in. see out. Yeah, because they're big windows in the side. They were like this is awesome. <laughs> so yeah, um, do, do it and enjoy yourself. Uh, it's, it's hard to buy a bad van, but uh, the, the,
1: yeah. o- the other great thing about minivans is sliding doors. Yes. You yeah. Know, if you're putting those kids into booster seats, um, you know, the sliding doors are just so infinitely superior to conventional hinge doors on an SUV. Yeah. You know, Cause first of all, you know, it's, it's not up, it's de- definitely g- generally not up as hot and up as high, so it's easier for you to uh, handle the kids getting in and out. You know, they can move around easier. You know, if they're getting into the third row, uh, it's easier to maneuver around in there than, than in a typical SUV. Um, it, one, one of the nice things about the Odyssey uh, that is unique to the Odyssey is the second row. Um, you can actually move the seats side to side.
0: Oh, that's right the ma- the magic slide seat or whatever they call it.
1: Yeah, right? so you know you can you know if you've got two, did you say how many kids? Yeah, you got two two kids. You know, so you know if you need to have them physically separated, <laughs> why would you they ever move,
0: need to be physically separated? You know,
1: um, you can you can have the seats pushed out to the sides and have a walkthrough, through uh, to the third row. Um or you know, if they you know wanna play a game together or something, you can slide one of them slide either one of them over to the other side and put them side by side. So you have you have a bunch of different options in there. Uh so that's that's definitely something to consider with the Honda.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean let us know what you get. Um the the Pacifica if you buy the like a high end one too with the screens, it has games on the screens.
1: Yes. <laughs> They've got built in games. So. Which,
0: you know, keeps the peace for about ten minutes.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh all right so we had a couple of uh a couple of twitter questions um one of them was just a suggestion to uh basically attack each other over nothing but this this is not fox oh, <laughs> so we won't be doing that uh <laughs> let's see uh d levine 61 says is my lust for a sixty eight sixty nine thunderbird with a 428 wrong um i i don't find anything wrong with that do you, you have any any thoughts sam uh,
1: you know, no i mean you know if that if that's your thing you know if you like you know big heavy big blocks you know and in, in big heavy big cars <laughs> yeah that you know that can't really go around corners but um you know it's it's a cool looking car
0: and 60 i can't remember what a 68 69 thunderbird is that the one with the hidden lights um
1: uh no that was before the hidden lights i think that was the 70s ones
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, those, oh yeah. These are the ones that look like oldsmobiles. Yeah. Knock yourself out, man. Have a good time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually they did have hidden lights. Yeah. yeah I uh,
0: see the first, first ones that come up actually, uh, they had the lights. Open, yeah. That, so. that
1: was, that was actually a cool looking car, especially the, uh, the coupe, but even, even the four door um, Thunderbird, you know, was, was kind of neat looking. So yeah, I mean, it, you know, if it's, if you like that style, go for it.
0: It's not, there's really nothing wrong with the 428. It's just, you know, enough cast iron to make the Titanic. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, do you think the PSA and FCA merger will be approved by the EU? Uh, also, why is Mike Manley shunned from the board of Stellantis? Uh, right now, this seems like a PSA takeover of Chrysler, kind of like Daimler Chrysler's merger of equals.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it will get approved. Um, you yeah, know, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. Um especially, you know, given the way the auto industry is going, you know, it's, we're going to be seeing more consolidation in the industry. Uh, That's just a a reality. Um, And as far as Manly goes, um, you know, I was reading about this, um, the merger agreement was uh, because, you know, this is going to be a European based company. So they have uh, a board of supervisors, um, which is like the board of directors, but a little bit different. Um, and, uh, one of the thing, you know, the, in the merger agreement, they said that they would only have one, um, let's see, one, uh, only one, one, uh, representative from each of the companies. So Carlos Tavares from PSA, uh, and, um, John, um, Alcan from, you know, uh, from the, uh, um, family. That uh, is a major stockholder in PSA. He he's the chairman of the holding company uh, that owns. There's the biggest shareholder in in FCA. So he's also going to be on the board. Uh, as far as we know, you know Manley is sticking around in an executive role. He's just not going to be on the board. Um, others, you know, other members of the supervisory board will be outsiders, not coming from either of the two companies.
0: Yeah. Uh... I think that that's it's more complementary too than the um, the Daimler Chrysler merger of equals. That uh, you know Chrysler doesn't have any new car platforms or small car platforms, and those are two areas where even if they wanted to make a small crossover, they don't have a platform for it. Uh, so they could use it. They have you know Jeep and Ram, and they've
1: managed to. <laughs> Keep you know, FCA has got strength in in commercial vehicles and trucks yeah. and SUVs. That's true. A
0: lot of the uh, the Promasters and stuff
1: are, are right. And popular. and P- PSA, you know, more on the the smaller to mid sized cars and and smaller utilities. So, and and PSA, you know, also has more strength on electric vehicle platforms than FCA does.
0: Yeah, and so it makes sense that FCA and and it's not that FCA hasn't been developing EVs and hybrids and stuff. That just you know it makes sense that if they're going to buy into another company that's also been doing it they're going to they're going to maybe take their foot off the pedal a little bit and see where they can they can lash things together instead of uh committing too much to a technology that's a dead end because it can't be used across all the brands so there's a lot that has to to go on i hope that it works out better than the merger of equals that kind of didn't uh there's a (laughs) cultural clash i don't yeah. I don't know that the, the French kind of, you know, because they're, and this is, this is broad generalizations, but, you know, the, the, the French uh, sort of merging their culture with an American brand versus the, the Germans
1: doing it. Well, you're merging with Americans and Italians. Oh, man, we're screwed. <laughs>
0: I'd, you know, it, it all depends on how much they they all kind of agree. It doesn't really matter where they came from. It's it's a global industry. I mean, Manly's no. not not even from Europe, right? Yeah, he's, he's
1: he's well, he's English. Oh, is he? I thought he was from. Um... Well, he's not from Europe anymore.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's just... uh, The world is so complicated. Mm. Um, I, I actually thought I thought he was from like Australia or New Zealand or something. So, um, yeah, uh, it's a global global industry so it doesn't kind of doesn't matter where they come from it just matters you know, what they what they sort of agree to do and then I you not know if they stick to it uh, there was a lot of promise to Daimler Chrysler in the beginning uh, and we, we you know we got some good stuff out of it you can still go buy a Challenger <laughs> <laughs> so um, that car's never going to die it's, it's going to be around forever
1: um, so, all right. hey, as long as people keep buying them
0: yeah I, they still they sell better every the- year
1: yeah, they they sell better now than they ever have. Nuts. Um, yeah.
0: All right, uh, but that's it. Our podcast is done. We have we've spent enough time babbling. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, send in questions, you know where to find us. It is uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, keep us uh, keep us on the dial, and uh, we'll see everybody next time.
1: See ya.